Welcome back, everyone. My name is Cole Nevins, host of the Cole on Sports Show. And on today's episode, I'm joined by New Jersey natives Shane Rich and Josh Petters for an awesome football-specific episode. Shane, Josh, welcome to the show, boys. Hey, Cole. Thank you so much for having me, man. Uh, we have a lot to get into today. Kareem Hunt news broke overnight. Antonio Brown news broke today. I'm just happy to be here. Thank you for having me. What's up, Cole? I'm super excited to be here with you on the Cole on Sports Show. We've got a lot to discuss, so let's just get right into it. Yep, really happy to have both of you guys on tonight. A long overdue appearance for both Shane and Josh, but we're going to get started right now. Let's dive right into the biggest NFL story of the past 24 hours, which is the Kareem Hunt news. So, the Cleveland Browns signed former Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt to a one-year $1 million deal yesterday. And this really comes as, as a surprise because Kareem Hunt, as we all know, was just cut by Kansas City before the playoffs after a video released of him kicking a woman at a hotel and for lying about the incident to the team. So we all know the caliber of Kareem Hunt's talent and the fact that he's an absolute stud in this league. But with the incident still fresh in everyone's mind, are you guys surprised that he was signed this quickly? Or is this okay by your standards of the NFL? You know, I'm very surprised that he got signed this early into free agency. You know, I thought the NFL would have uh, addressed the issue a little bit more than they did, which is a fault on the NFL's part. But as much as as talented as Kareem Hunt is, the Browns just felt that they couldn't pass up that talent. And it's a very low-risk, high-reward deal. So, um you know, I don't know how to feel about this signing because there's no justification to punch a, or whatever he did, kick a woman. There's no excuse for what he did at all. So, um, you know, that's not the kind of person we necessarily want as a role model in the NFL. But hopefully Kareem Hunt is able to um, continue his career and, uh, you know, maybe uh, step up a little more and become a leader on and off the field. Yeah, Patch, uh, I really like what you have to say there. You know, the NFL didn't do a great job uh, addressing this issue. There should have been a lot more into it. Guys, he kicked a lady. You can't do that. You can't punch, you can't kick, you can't You can't put your hands on a woman. Uh, and I think, look, the Browns are getting an incredible running back in Kareem Hunt. He led the league in rushing yards his rookie year. He can, he can catch it in the backfield. You know, he's great on draw plays, on stretch plays. But that's not the point. The point is he showed bar- he's shown bad character in the past. And how is he going to bounce back from this? And are the Browns, should the Browns really be giving uh, Kareem Hunt a second chance with this? So a point that you guys kind of touched on, but I've really, from social media in general and everyone following the news, have I haven't seen a lot, is the fact that no one's really taking for granted that the NFL and the Browns have probably been doing a ton of due diligence and research and work on this case. I mean, it would be shocking to me with this really hovering the league and being such a big thing 
that the NFL didn't take action like people are saying. Like, I totally expect the NFL and Roger Goodell went out and behind the scenes, not publicly, but behind the scenes, went out and did their due diligence with Hunt, got him into medical care, made sure he was extremely aware that he was getting a second chance here. And they and the NFL, the thing about them is they want their stars playing. There is no doubt about that. And we know in sports, just as fans, that teams always value talent over character. We've seen it time after time after time. And we're seeing an example, a perfect example right here with it. But in my general opinion and what I think, I believe that the Browns and the NFL have done enough research on this that justifies him being able to sign. If they really thought that he wasn't ready to sign, which do I think that he should have signed this early and that he should have been allowed to considering that he's maybe four to five months removed from this terrible incident? Not at all. I think there needs to be much more punishment. And I think we're going to get into a second. A lengthy suspension should be added to it. But I do believe the NFL and the Browns, not in public but in private, have done enough to justify this signing. So I want to hear what you guys think. Uh, I just, like I said, it concerns me a lot. The NFL needs to put more emphasis on this. Uh, Adam Schefter reported today earlier on that he thinks it'll be anywhere from a 10 to 12 game suspension. I don't like that at all, personally. I think he broke the law. He broke uh, what the Chiefs organization, what the NFL is asking you not to do, what you shouldn't be doing. And I, you know, I would put this at a for uh, like a roughly year suspension. I think Ray Rice, um, he's been out of the NFL indefinitely. Uh, he wasn't banned. He had a suspension, but no one's taken a chance on him. We saw the Ezekiel Elliott situation and how that turned out. That was a six-game suspension down the stretch, and nothing else came of it. But I think we have all the video evidence with this. There needs to be more into this, and the NFL could have done a much better job of handling this situation. Patch? So I'm thinking a 10- to 12-game suspension, and that seems like reasonable. But I also would not be surprised if he is out this entire season. It is um, – what he did is unjustified. There is video evidence of what he did. They, they, there's nothing that could be said that, held, that could be held in his favor. The girl said whatever to him. But you have to learn to keep your hands and your feet to yourself towards a woman. You can't do that. So I'm thinking of 10 to 12-game suspension. But I also would not be surprised if he's out for the whole entire 2019-2020 season. Mm-hmm. And – the biggest thing I'm taking away from this as well, and we're going to get into it right now, is that of any team to sign him, I think the Browns are the perfect destination. And it's not for a football aspect. It's for the fact that Kareem Hunt is a Cleveland-born kid who comes into the situation now. He is John Dorsey, the guy who drafted him, and there were no issues until John Dorsey left. So maybe the NFL put into this and said, you know what, if the Browns are signing him, we trust them the most out of any other team to keep him accountable for his actions. And it's not like they signed him to a huge deal. It's one year, one million, no incentives added, and they have him in medical care as well. So I think there's enough pieces that's going to support Hunt. It's just a matter if he can execute. And we've seen time after time, like players like Josh Gordon, even though addiction is a totally different situation, that putting a player in rehab doesn't just solve the problem. So Hunt in my opinion, should have to prove over, over an entire season, so I'm saying right now that he should be suspended for an entire year, that he can prove 
to stay clean for a year and prove the NFL and the Browns that he is okay. But I want to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Um, what you are saying is that Kareem Hunt, suspended the whole year, has to prove himself that um, – prove to the whole NFL that he is ready to come back to football because football is a job and football is a sport. And people watch the sport. People, you have fans, you have the media who are going to be on his ass 24-7. You're going to have people looking at him 24-7, judging him for everything that he does, right? So Mm -hmm. if he can prove for this entire year that he is a better man, that he has learned from his mistakes, because everyone makes mistakes. All these guys make mistakes. DUI, they just have to – he has to prove a little bit more than anyone else would have to that he is ready to come back to the NFL and to continue his job as being a running back in the league is pretty much. Mm-hmm. Shane? Yeah, I really like what you're saying there. He has to present himself. He has to show um, how sorry he is. I mean, you could say it a million times. Uh, it'll never mean as much. You have to take action. You have to show you are here to be a Cleveland Brown. You are here to help the Cleveland Browns hopefully uh, win the Super Bowl. He's with John Dorsey, like uh, Cole, like you said. He was with him in his time in Kansas City, and there were no problems when he was with him. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do, especially in a locker room with a ton of veterans. Like uh, this, it includes a list of guys like Jamie Collins, you know, Baker Mayfield as a quarterback. It's his second year, but he has to be more of a leader. Jarvis Landry is a perfect example. They have to keep Kareem Hunt in check. He has to be on the lookout, but he has to show everyone he is here to play football and nothing past that. Mm -hmm. I like the last point. They need to make sure that in his head that he has this one focus and that he cannot be distracted by all the outside noise coming in, and he needs to focus on his health and then his performance. So talking about performance, let's get into the football perspective a bit. How the Browns really handle having now Kareem Hunt when he gets in the mix Georgia running back Nick Chubb, who had an unbelievable rookie season, and the pass catcher Duke Johnson Jr., also coming out of the backfield as a three-headed monster. Let's hear your thoughts. All right, so breaking this down from a football perspective, Cole, the Browns usually like to go with one tight end out on the field. Jarvis Landry is usually the slot receiver. If not, he's wide out, and Duke Johnson is playing the slot, right? Rashard Higgins is uh, usually on the outside. He was their number two. Mm-hmm. And can we expect them to sign one more big-name receiver I or do. draft? Yes. I, I think that's a need for them. I think John Dorsey will address that, especially for Baker Mayfield in the long run. A big thing, uh, Kareem Hunt, I don't – it's it's very uncertain how they would use him. I mean, I don't know if he would be the starting running back over Chubb, and that can sound crazy to you. That can sound insane. Whatever word, blasphemous, you know. There's just, to me, I feel like Nick Chubb has proven what he can do for the Browns. There's never been an off-the-field issue. He's gone in. He's worked. He earned the starting job. There's a reason why they traded Carlos Hyde to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was to give Nick Chubb a chance. And, guys, he rushed for over 1,000 yards in less than 16 games as a starting running back. And he Mm -hmm. helped them down the stretch. And we know how close they were to the playoffs. I feel like, why change that? Why ruin what you have? Baker and Chubb are a great duo. And, you know, Kareem Hunt could be thrown in there. He could be 
um, a change of pace back. He could be the third down back, but I feel like why ruin what you have with Nick Chubb? Mm-hmm. And Pets, before you go, I just want to add. It it come when I first saw this news break, and I saw that the Browns signed him, and I made the connection that John Dorsey's the GM, and he drafted Kareem Hunt. You have to think that John Dorsey really made this signing out of heart more than football, and said, "Yes, Kareem Hunt's a huge talent that we just got for really cheap, and could potentially, as long as we turn his health around and his mindset, we can make him as a big part of a Browns team that they hope to make a Super Bowl run." But you have to think that. John Dorsey said, I want to help this guy out. And maybe that's why he made the signing. Because it really doesn't make a ton of sense from a football perspective. Because, again, they had a, a downhill runner in Chubb. And you have Duke Johnson. So why add Kareem Hunt in the mix? You have to think. Maybe it's because of John Dorsey really wanted, wanting to help a young kid out that's really troubled. But let's hear what you guys have to say. Catch? You know, I just think that Kareem Hunt is just a bubble of talent. And... Adding more talent to that backfield can only help them, you know? It's a low – as I was saying before, it's such a low-risk, high-reward type of signing because you're paying mm-hmm. a guy $1 million. You're paying these other running backs $10, $12 million a year when this guy is just as talented as any of those guys, if not a top five back in the league. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this. You're paying him nothing, and you could get so much out of him. Even if even if Nick Chubb is getting uh, most of the carries, you still – He's such he's such a ball of talent that it's it's hard to pass that up. And John Dorsey looking at, you know, Kareem Hunt, even drafting him, you know, I'm sure he has that sort of, uh, you know, respect for the guy and love for him. That, um, but still, if it was any guy, I think. I mean, you're paying him one million dollars. He's, as you said, led the league in rushing yards his rookie year. That is mm-hmm. something that has to be taken into account because you're just getting this troubled guy. But you're paying. You're not paying him that much. You're paying him a million dollars. That's in the NFL. That is nothing. And mm-hmm. yeah. for his talent, you can't. You can't pass that up. If, if you're the Browns, you say screw it. You know, this guy's so talented. I mean, I can't. If I was a GM, I couldn't pass that up. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy you mentioned the talent perspective of it because I want to clarify my thought just now. I'm not saying not to sign him because it would make too much of a commotion in the backfield because. Adding more talent is never a bad thing. That's a good problem to have, especially if a guy goes down, you know you have a secure backup. And again, low risk, extremely high reward if it really works out. But it's really going to be interesting to see how it works when you want to make sure Chubb is satisfied with his carries, as well as Hunt if he's coming into this team. And maybe they move Duke Johnson. Maybe they put Kareem Hunt into that a little bit more of an expanded Duke Johnson role as we see that down the stretch of last season when they started playing really well, they were putting Chubb in first and second down, come third down, maybe intermediate to long. They're putting in Duke Johnson as a pass-catching running back, or they put him in the slot. Could we see Kareem Hunt, who's proven to be a good pass-catching running back, maybe come in and play that Duke Johnson role a bit and really compliment Nick Chubb? I mean, I would not be surprised if they gave up on Duke Johnson. They have him on – he has two years left on this on his deal, I believe. So this year and the next in the following season. So running back needy teams or pass catching running back needy teams could really make a run at him. You yeah, know, cool. I, don't, I don't think you have to be satisfied. I don't think Nick Chubb has to be satisfied with his carries. The Browns are going to do whatever they have to do to win. They haven't had a winning season since 2007. They mm-hmm. haven't had a playoff appearance since 2002. I mean, 
I don't think these I think these guys are hungry. I think they want to win and I think they'll be okay doing whatever if they win. I mean, at the end of the year they were five and three under Greg Williams. And I think that their the, the whole culture has changed there. They're expecting to win. And I think that mm-hmm. Kareem Hunt being there is only gonna make that reality possible. I mean, this year they're gonna win. They have to win. And Nick Chubb is not gonna complain about his carries going up against a guy like Kareem Hunt. See so yeah, Cole, that, that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. Shane? Yeah, uh, I like what both of you have to say. I do think, though, they will lean towards Nick Chubb as he's proven to be their guy. Um, but, you know, like like you said, Cole, they could use him as a pass-catching running back because we've seen what he can do catching the ball. Uh, he's a great receiving back. He's talented all around. And I do like uh, the idea of, you know, maybe both of them in the backfield on a third and six attempt. You know, mm-hmm. what they can do. They're both running flats. They're both running outs. Whatever it needs to be. They're going to be effective together, and it, this can carry out. It could be a great one-two counterpunch, or instead of it's, oh, Chubb first and second down, Kareem Hunt third down, what about Chubb first down, Kareem Hunt second down, you go from there. It's battling it out. You use them differently. It breaks apart the defense, and they'll win games uh, because of it. Mm-hmm. And we've seen good one-two punches before. It's not – I mean, obviously, it's a fantasy football headache, and that's really – that's really getting to my mind a bit because I'm like, oh, great. Now I have to deal with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, two guys I'd love to have on my team because of their talent now being in the same backfield. But that's my fantasy football bias. But now you're looking at it. One, two guys can really um, complement each other extremely well. And they bring a sense of competition to each other on the practice field. So it's going to be extremely interesting to see how that plays out. And more, inter- more interesting to see when Kareem Hunt returns to the gridiron this coming season or next season. So, staying in the AFC North, though, we heard today from Steelers star wide receiver Antonio Brown that he officially requested a trade to the team and posted on Instagram and Twitter a highlight video of his nine years in Pittsburgh saying goodbye to the city and looking forward to the new part of his career. So, before we get into his market and his value and the potential teams and scenarios that the star wide receiver can get into. How did things really break down in Pittsburgh in your guys' opinion? So to be honest with you, Cole, I think it is the head, the front office, Mike Tom, when I just think the disconnect is there, even looking at Le'Veon Bell with um, him wanting to be paid more. There's just been too much drama there in Pittsburgh. So um, I think Mike Tom went in the head office are to blame. You might want to get some new guys in there, but um. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, when your two star players are upset and not wanting to play for you, that's a problem. That's mm-hmm. a huge, huge problem. Uh, Shane? All right. So I think there's uh, different ways to look at the situation with Antonio Brown and who's to blame and who's not to blame. Uh, the Roonies, as we know, owning the Steelers um, you know, for decades upon decades, they're great at what they do. They've won multiple Super Bowls. Uh, you know, they have a rich history of guys. Ben Roethlisberger is their franchise quarterback. He's played well. But then Jesse James, their tight end, I think, quoted it the best. We are the Kardashians of the NFL. And that's perfect to me. I that's love that. That's a perfect it's example. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Because it shows so much. You know, you want to make the comparison, oh, Kim is Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown is Chloe. That doesn't matter, Okay. The problem is the players are not focused on the team. 
They're focused on themselves. Um, themselves come before the team. They just, they're not, I feel like they're not all in. They're a very dramatic team. They're a team you would put on a reality TV show like Hard Knocks, right? Um, how, how good would the Steelers Hard Knocks be? That would be, <laughs> be such good entertainment. Like, like I said, Le'Veon Bell, all right? He's the first guy I would blame with this. This team drafts you. This team holds on to you after, you know, all your suspensions, all the drama. And injuries. And you're not playing for, what was it? He's getting paid $12 million, uh, a year, I believe. He wants eight, uh, eight more million dollars. That's insane to me. I feel like at the beginning of the year, Cole, we both had the Steelers going to the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. They're a great team offensively and defensively. Mike Tomlin has proven to be a decent head coach. He's never missed uh, – he's never had a below 500 record, right? But I – if I'm Le'Veon Bell, I'm focusing on winning, and then after this season uh, goes by, no, uh, no matter where they finish, then we're getting into contract details. But – you have games to go out and play. You have games to go out and win, especially against teams like the Patriots, who you want to defeat. And he's focused and on seen, money. And we've, and we've seen them beat them. We saw them beat them this season. Exactly. And they did it without Le'Veon Bell. And James Conner, you know, he's shown to be a guy. He's a team player. Because of his past, he fought cancer. You know, he nothing has ever gone in that man's way. And I think it's his time to shine in Pittsburgh. We've seen what he can do, and I think he could be great for a long time. The second person to blame for this is Antonio Brown, okay? Antonio Brown has been in in the NFL for nine years now. He's a proven veteran. He's arguably the best receiver in football. He produces on the field every Sunday. But he's always been a drama queen, and he's always been a diva. Uh, If you have good things going in a locker room, he's a guy that can turn those things around. Why? He's focused on himself. He wants the ball. He's frustrated, okay? That's why he's requesting a trade. They missed the playoffs. He wasn't getting the ball as much because Juju Smith-Schuster was having a productive year. So what happens? He whines and complains, all right? And now he wants out. And that's a distraction to a team that's trying to go to the Super Bowl and trying to win the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more with, Shane, your point at the end that Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are the ones to blame. I think the fact that there are people blaming it on Tomlin, as much as he's the head coach and he's the kind of the dad of the locker room that should be looking out for his players, he's an excellent head coach, as you said. And despite all this drama, he's led them to such good success in the past. But Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are two guys whose specific characters are self-centered. And and people act like that's a whole... Rare thing. I mean, it's not in the NFL nowadays. You have all these guys like that. But the Steelers are packed with guys, uh, with superstars, like you said. Like, I mean, they had Ryan Shazier, a very un-self-centered, non-self-centered guy. You have Juju. You have James Conner, guys like that. Even Ben Roethlisberger, who's, who's kind of in the midst of all this. He's kind of like, look, I want to just play football and use my weapons to my, um, to my advantage. And I'm not being able to because you guys are causing all this drama here. So I'm putting full blame on Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell for this whole collapse. And honestly, it'll be really interesting to see if the Steelers benefit. Obviously, they're not going to benefit by losing two superstars. But will the locker room and the mindset of the team benefit from not having to worry about both of them coming into the locker room after each game and complaining, complaining about not getting the ball enough? 
But if you're really talking, if you're really talking value for Antonio Brown in terms of a trade now, because he requested the trade, what are you thinking? Especially with this contract and his track record of being a diva and his um recent criminal charges that were released this past week. Patch, before you go, I just wanted to give another example. A guy, uh, they drafted T.J. Watt a couple of years back in the first round to fill in the edge rusher outside linebacker role, and he's been um, nothing short of spectacular, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who was ahead of him? James James Harrison. He was a veteran with the Steelers. He was with them for a very long, long time. He proved a lot. He's won Defensive Player of the Year. He's won them a Super Bowl, correct? Yes. His snaps went down uh, tremendously when they brought T.J. Watt in. He complained and he whined. What happened? He was cut. I just think there was a way or there is a way that the Rooney family approaches situations like this where they want to go out and play football. And if you're not with us, goodbye. Mm-hmm. I get what you're, I get what you're saying there, but it's different when you're looking at Antonio Brown. He's in com- some of the prime years in his career coming up. And um, James Harrison was nearing the end of his career. I don't necessarily think that James Harrison should have whined like he did, but you have to look at it at Brown's perspective. He has some of his best years coming up in the future. So how do you look at that? You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's going to be crazy how this is all going to play out because he has so much talent and he's obviously approaching his thirties, but I think he's enough talent to still make an impact in this league going forward. But if you're a GM for a team, what are you giving up for Antonio Brown? in terms of value and picks and um, players. If, well, you want to get specific, if, you, if you want to get specific with teams, go ahead. Well, one team that I'm thinking is obviously the 49ers. They're a team that could that doesn't have a lot of culture right now. They haven't won in a few years. And, you know, the 49ers are a prestigious organization. So I feel like it would, Antonio Brown would be great there because – they haven't, they're not a winning team, and he could talk all he wants there without anyone complaining because he's going to be the number one guy there. He's going to be the guy that all of them look to, and I think he would have to go to a, a more losing kind of – I don't want to say a losing team, but more of a, you know, a team that had a down year, a losing record. He can't go to a winning team. He ruined the culture there. So I'm gonna, I feel like GMs of losing franchises right now are going to look at him and be like, Wow, this guy's a bundle of talent. We need him on our team. I don't care what he says. We just need him. And giving up a second, third-round pick to get him is nothing. You know, this guy's been the best receiver in the league for years. So, you know, that's how I'm looking at it is the 49ers are one of the teams that I feel is a good trade destination for Antonio Brown. He's also also claimed that he's interested in going to the 49ers. What are you thinking, Shane? Uh, well, as a diehard 49er fan, um, as you are a Jets fan, I am going to take Antonio Brown and toss him right back to you. The Niners <laughs> have something very special in their organization going on. Um, you don't have to believe it. I think Jimmy uh, G is a franchise quarterback. He tore his ACL third week of the season, so we didn't get to see anything. Jarek McKinnon tore his ACL in preseason, so we didn't get to see anything. Those are two guys that were the biggest part of this rebuild and we'll hope uh, will eventually, you know, win us games and hopefully take us to the promised land and we can add more to our dynasty and our Super Bowl trophy case. However, there's something to be said about 
top receivers and top running backs winning the Super Bowl. And I brought this up to Cole a few weeks ago. And I totally name agree, the last, by the way. <laughs> name the last best player on a team, meaning uh, like a Marshawn Lynch when he was the best running back in the NFL. Did he win the Super Bowl? Yes. But was he the best? That's debatable. The best, the last best player at their position, either a running back or a receiver, to win the Super Bowl was Terrell Davis in 1999 versus the Atlanta Falcons. That's a long stretch because, you know, we've seen these number one guys turn into divas, and uh, most of them, at least, I shouldn't say all, they're more for themselves. And he's talked to Jerry Rice. He said, I want to run the hill with you. I want to be a a great 49er. I want to be like you one day. I want to put on the red and gold. I want to play with Jimmy G, and I want to win Super Bowls. That's great, but Jerry Rice was not a diva. Jerry Rice went out every day, and he worked harder than everyone else on the football field. He did whatever he needed to do. He put his team first, and Antonio Brown, unfortunately, is not a guy like that. I like what the Niners have. I like what they have going. Um, you know, And I feel like the Steelers would ask for a lot, and knowing John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, there's other things uh, that the Niners need to look into, such as the interior offensive line, an edge rusher, and a, another big part is a secondary. So as much as we'd like or love a receiver like Antonio Brown, I think his attitude and what he's shown recently, he is not worth it. Mm-hmm. And now as a Jets fan, I can, you know, now I'm on Petra's side a bit. I kind of agree with Shane, though, that Antonio Brown's not a guy I want around my team. And it's for that exact reason. He ruins a culture. He comes and goes, look, I'm Antonio Brown now. I'm coming into this team. Everything's about me. That's not the, again, it's not the attitude Super Bowl winning teams have. You know why the Patriots have been so successful? Because each guy comes in there and plays their role. Because they have wide receivers like Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan come in and do their thing. They put the team first. They put the team first. I mean, it would be, I mean, people think that when, um, I'll give a basketball analogy right now that KD, Harden, and Westbrook was the, the trio that could have won so many championships. And everyone, that's the big what if. One of the biggest what ifs is how the, if the Steelers, if there were no deep, if Bell and Antonio Brown kept their mouth shut, how good they could have been with a prime, with a prime Ben Roethlisberger, excuse me. So Antonio Brown is a guy that has proven to tear apart a team that, were, how many teams are going to be better than that Steelers team? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many teams could really match that. So, if I'm the Jets, I'm really staying away from him. The Niners, they have that pretty good culture right now. I do that too. It's going to be, I mean, if his value really falls because teams don't want to trade for him and teams start, and the Steelers start lowering their value from first and second round picks all the way to fourth to sixth round picks and a few players to add in, that's when a team. Like maybe like the Raiders can come in and say, you know what, let's take a chance in him. Why not? We know how good he is. Let's go in. Let's give up a bit of draft capital and let's get a stud like him and see what happens. But it's undeniable that point that Shane brought up that teams don't win with one superstar, and that's exactly why we're gonna get. In, well, I'm gonna talk about this entire offseason why the Jets shouldn't offer Le'Veon Bell a massive contract. Teams don't win with superstars, even though even though the NFL is centered. This is an undisputable point. The NFL, besides quarterbacks, is centered around superstars. 
that are running backs and receivers. But despite being scented by them because they're such divas, they don't win team Super Bowls. Super Bowls are won in the trenches, like how we saw in this past Super Bowl 53, and from quarterbacks. So if I'm you know, a team with a decent culture like that, I'm staying away from Antonio Brown. You know, uh, Cole, and two examples of those players. One I'd like to bring up is Adrian Peterson, right? One of the best running backs that I've ever seen. He has never brought the Minnesota Vikings really anywhere. I mean, he's brought them to the playoffs, but they've never been a Super Bowl caliber team. They've never went to the Super Bowl. So I like the point that you're saying over there. And then my other uh, player is Calvin Johnson, one of the, probably the best receiver I've ever seen, right? He never brought the uh, Detroit the Lions there. Yeah. He never brought them anywhere. So um, I like that point you brought up that a super, one superstar does not win a team the Super Bowl, which is the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Shane, guys, any last thoughts? And I'm just going to add on. We're seeing it today. Odell Beckham Jr. is one of my favorite players in football. Guys, the best they've gone is 11-5, and five, and they lost by a yacht to the Packers. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Odell brings so much baggage to the team, and you look at a guy like uh, Saquon Barkley, no talk, that's the kind of guy you want in your team. Exactly. No talk, but, how, no but how rare is that? For for run, as I said before, the league and social media in this age now is centered around superstars, guys who guys who again go. Everyone's having them on their fantasy teams. Everyone's buying the jerseys. You don't see guys wearing defensive linemen's um jerseys, maybe except for like a JJ Watt. You're seeing guys in Antonio Brown jerseys, Le'Veon Bell jerseys, Calvin Johnson, Adrian Peterson, guys like that. Those are the superstars in this league that everyone looks at, and they have an incentive to them that says, "I want to be the I want to be the guy," but in football. Being the guy doesn't translate to winning games. So unless Antonio Brown wants to settle for losing his entire career, he's going to have to shut up and be a, a part of a team and, and do what you said like Saquon. Saquon could be a rare example of a superstar guy who's so who's humble enough to sit back and say, you guys do your role, I'll do my role, and I'll be a huge part of this piece to winning a Super Bowl. You yes. know, playing football for the past couple of years, I really realized something how important the team is. It's not like any other sport like baseball or basketball where you could be that one guy and you could be the highlight. You know, football is a totally different game. It's such a team game nowadays. And, you know, some of these guys grew up not understanding that. So I feel like a new generation needs to come in and, you know, be like, this is a team game. I need to do it for my team so we could win the championship, win the Super Bowl at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Shane, any last thoughts? Uh, yeah, and like I just I want to make this clear. I'm not saying every top receiver and running back is a diva. I'm not saying that. I think Julio Jones. I think the Falcons have a very great chance eventually to you know go on and win a Super Bowl. DeAndre Hopkins is another guy. He plays his game. He doesn't drop the ball. He keeps playing. He's not a loud mouth. He just does what he has to do. And there's certain guys, like we said, the Antonio Browns of the world, who do put themselves before the team, and, and we see what the Steelers look like right now. Everything is going downhill. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a huge story to watch this entire offseason. But there's going to be another huge story this offseason, which is the Alliance of American Football, which made its debut this past weekend. And let's just say it was a success. So let's start off big. I want you guys to give me a player that you really liked watching this weekend from the AAF. You know, I really like John Wolford here. 
I remember him being a diehard Jets fan. He was on our practice squad for a few weeks, got cut, but he was 18 for 29 passing with 275 yards, four touchdowns, and a few two-point conversions. You know, I really like what I saw of him. He looked like he had a big arm, and he took some really nice reads down the field. So he's my guy who I'm, who I think did really well. He's on the um, Arizona Hotshots, I believe. So um, I really liked him. What about you, Shane? Uh, I got to go with two guys, actually. So my first is a guy who had a ton of NFL potential. His name's Trent Richardson. Uh, he, he was the rock of the Birmingham Iron this weekend. Uh, he rushed for 58 yards, I believe, on 22 attempts, which wasn't great, but found Pater twice. And another guy I'm going with is former 49ers receiver Quentin Patton. He had a big day. He caught a, couple, uh, a few balls, I believe, for over 100 yards. So it was nice to see him back in action. And for me, I'm going to say Logan Woodside. Um, he was drafted in the seventh round this past draft. A lot of people had them high on the <laughs> draft board. But after a DUI, he was quickly cut and now took a place in the San Antonio Commanders. He did throw two picks in the game and only threw 50%. But he made a lot of throws that I was really impressed by for a guy who has zero NFL experience. So I was really impressed by Logan Woodside and some of the throws he made. But if I want to talk another, about another guy who really impressed me, it was another former Jet, Jalen Marshall, who actually threw a touchdown himself and caught a touchdown in his game with the Orlando Apollos and their big win. So, you know, some love for a few of our former Jets and former 49ers. You know, this is going to be the, really the best thing about the AAF, where you get to see some of our favorite players that were low-key sleeper guys come out and just play some ball. And, I mean, it's good to see these guys get a second chance in the league. So... Moving on to our next topic concerning the AAF. Obviously, there were some huge rule changes in the league. Were there any that you guys really enjoyed seeing throughout the four, throughout the four games this weekend? Well, Cole, I got to tell you, man, uh, you know, after poor officiating in the championship games uh, about a month ago in the NFL, I was really happy to see what they went ahead and did with uh, the extra – uh, official that sits in a booth and can change a call from his or her perspective, whether it's agreeing or disagreeing with whatever the ref called on the field. So it was cool to see um, a few calls uh, overturned and just a breakdown of what actually happened on the play. And for someone who got a better view of it, you know, to break things down. Josh. And you know what I'm thinking? I really, really like the two point conversion rule. You know, people will say that the extra points almost like a gimme, even though there was a few missed last uh, NFL season. But it's almost like another red zone, uh, red zone play. A fourth down, you got one more chance. You got to score a two point conversion. You know, I really like that rule because it gives a little more intensity to the game. What are you thinking, Cole? For me, it's got to be the pace of play. I'm a guy. Shane knows this very well. He calls me a fake football fan because I like to watch red zone. And I hate commercials. And Shane goes, oh, Cole, you got to sit through the whole game and watch the whole thing. Well, Cole, no I got to one... tell you, man, I fell in love with Red Zone. Um, each year and year, <laughs> I get more into it. So shout out to NFL Network because I, I love watching it, I have to say. Well, they're, they're, that's what I'm saying here. There's nothing worse than going and watching a game and you have more commercials than actual playing time. And the AF did an amazing job of that with CBS and CBS Sports this past weekend. I was watching a bunch of the games. I watched one on Sunday. I think it was the Birmingham Iron game. 
I think the first quarter ended in 30 minutes. I mean, that is a dream for a football fan. The pace of play was incredible. Taking out all the kickoffs really just made the game pace so much quicker. And the split-screen split commercials. What a genius idea. Keeps people watching the game. The, I mean, there are so many. When I, whenever I'm watching an NFL Sunday and I see that commercial on, I'm like, great. Now i got to change the channel and then switch it back when it goes on and end up missing a few minutes of game time. You put that split-screen commercial in while the players are transitioning to the ball now being on the 25-yard line instead of a kickoff. Perfect solution. No official timeouts. No in-game timeouts. I mean, it was great. Game pace was amazing. Games ended in like two, two hours. That's my favorite part of the weekend. Any last thoughts, boys? You know, you know I what? really like... You can go. You can go, you can go Shane. All right. Uh, you know, I really... Like I said earlier, I'm a diehard NFL fan and a college football fan. And the AAF is not trying to compete with the NFL. That's not the goal. That's not the point of this. The point is... That's, that's the best part. People love football and people want more football. And I feel like this is what the AAF is giving to us. So I told you, Cole, outside of the show, I don't know if I'm a big believer in this yet, but it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. So I'll definitely tune in more. Josh? Hello, Cole. You know, Cole, what I was thinking is you see all these big hits on all these quarterbacks, right? It seems like the NFL is taking a lot of the physicality out of it because football is a physical game. It really is. It's what makes it different from a lot of sports. It is a physical, tough game to play. And to see this is really – it's delightful to watch these big hits, these defense rushing the quarterback very hard. And these big hits are just – it's what makes football fun, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, you you hear the you hear the term "old school football" all the time, and we really saw a lot of that this weekend. I mean, was it Ber- Bervacci, the quarterback in that first game? Got that was brutal. Pummeled. That was brutal. <laughs> but he got up like he got up like a champ, and I don't see why NFL quarterbacks can't do that. I don't. I mean, you guys are the two who play tackle football, obviously not in the NFL, but it's clear that these hits aren't going to ruin careers 99% of the time as Roger Goodell really thinks they are. So it was nice to see a quarterback get a little bit of a knock and get up and, you know, prove that quarterbacks aren't, aren't, aren't wusses. They can get up and be tough. So it was good to see that as well. But, you know, my favorite part of the weekend, it has to be Christian Hackenberg. You know, <laughs> 10 for 23, 87 yards and an interception. You know, unbelievable debut for Christian Hackenberg. So proud of him. 87 yards passing. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, being a diehard Jet fan, I could see why he hasn't played a snap in the NFL (laughs) game. I mean, this guy was absolutely... When I say horrific, I mean horrific. (laughs) Missing some some horrible, horrible reads. It was just... How do you you take this guy? Second round pick. Second round I mean, he could go down as one of the biggest busts in recent NFL history. I mean, yes, it's only a second-round pick, but you're playing against guys who've never even played a snap in NFL practice squad preseason. I mean, some of these guys have played D2 college football. You're going against Christian Hackenberg, who's supposed to be the superstar of Penn State. You look at him cursing like a damn truck driver. I mean, <laughs> it's just such a <laughs> it's such a Bad, bad look for him. And being a Jets fan, I, I was disappointed to see 
But I, I'm looking at the Jets front office, and I'm like, they made the right decision not to play this guy. He would have made a fool of himself. What are you thinking? I mean, I have to say, if it weren't for him, there'd be no Sam Darnold. If he was, he was slightly average, he'd be good enough to maybe win the game. So, well, I'm very happy with Sam Darnold. Guys, I know come you on, are, Josh. So, <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm My shocked God. Blaine Gabbard isn't in this league. But, like you said, with Hackenberg, <laughs> looking back on the uh, 2016 NFL draft class, just a few names. Jacoby Brissett was drafted after him. Um, everybody's favorite guy, Cody Kessler. <laughs> Connor Cook, and the most notable, Dak Prescott. Connor Cook has a has a playoff start, though, if I'm correct. He does. <laughs> I mean, it did go down the drain, but I'll give it to him. I mean, Joe Flacco has a Super Bowl victory, so we can't take that away from him. No, <laughs> we cannot. We cannot. Elite is elite, guys. There's no turning back on that. But that's gonna do it for our AAF talk. Definitely gonna keep in touch with that league going forward. A lot to come. Some good matchups this week. I mean, you definitely saw a bit of a talent difference in some teams. Atlanta looked absolutely terrible. They got destroyed. And Hackenberg's team looked horrible, too. They got shut out in an, AA, in an AAF game. That might be the worst part of the league, the name. That name is horrible sounding. A-A-F? A-F? Does that roll off the tongue? No. <laughs> A-A-F. F. <laughs> You know, what do you guys think the hottest team is right now? What is the best team to you guys right now? You think? I'm rocking with my dogs, the Birmingham Iron, man. Birmingham I Iron mean, with, the, with the shutout? Yes. I mean, I got to say, Orlando putting up 40 points on Atlanta. Good for them. <laughs> Based on Wolford's performance, I'm going to go with the Arizona Hotshots. I think they are the favorite to win the AAF title right now. But you know what? Let's get right over. Let's talk about Kyler Murray. Let's yeah, we got a lot full. to talk about. Let's do it, boys. Let's talk about his full commitment to the NFL. What are you guys thinking about this one? Yeah, so Kyler Murray, as Josh just alluded to, decided yesterday that he is transitioning to the NFL full-time. No Deion Sanders drama, no Bo Jackson drama, at least for now. But he has committed verbally as a full-time five foot nine NFL quarterback. So... Is this the right decision on Kyler Murray's part, the former first-round pick for the Oakland Athletics and the potential NFL first-round pick for whichever team is daring enough to draft it? Well, Cole, I'm going to go I'm, – I'm actually going to tell you this, man. So, if you were to ask Kyler Murray two years ago what he was playing, the answer was baseball. 100%. He had a very successful season uh, with the Sooners. College football playoff, Heisman Trophy winner, right? Two years ago, he was never in the position where he knew he wanted to be an NFL quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see how he takes this on. Because, guys, it's not easy to say. Well, it's not, a, it's not easy to do saying, I'm going to be a professional baseball player. And then you win Heisman. Oh, I'm going to be in the NFL. That takes time, that takes effort, that takes practice. So he really has to take it to the next level if he's fully committed to football, which I think he can be, and he has the chance to be. It depends where he goes. It, de- uh, it really depends the system he's in, but he has the makings to be a good quarterback. He's short. He can run around. He doesn't have to stay calm in the pocket. He could be a dual-threat quarterback. We know what he can do, and we know what he's capable of. So it'll be interesting to see. Patch? 
you know, I'm just scrolling through Kyler Murray's Instagram right now, and I'm seeing 90% is all football posts. So if he's really saying that's what he's passionate about, I feel that's what he's passionate about. He turned down the money, the $4.5 million signing bonus. He turned down less of a chance to get injured. He turned down a 15 to a possible 20-year career at most. That's what the I mean, he's he's really going to be risking his body playing football, but if that's really what he's passionate about, you can't argue with the guy. If he was passionate about baseball, he would have he would have been on the Oakland A's right now. He would have been you know, tearing it up there, but the kind of athlete that Kyler Murray is, he feels his he his passion deep down inside is football, and you know you can't go against his passion. What are you thinking, Cole? I think not us going against his passion. I think he can't go against his passion. I think that's the biggest point right here. There would be nothing worse for Kyler Murray to be stuck in a situation where he's kind of twiddling his fingers on whether to go to the MLB or the NFL. And that is the – as an athlete, I like to say that playing in your performance is around 90% mental. I think both of those things in your mind could only be detrimental to his success in whichever profession he decides to go to. So I think committing to one and not having that other one kind of loose on the side and even as a second option is going to be huge for Kyler Murray. And I think it was huge for himself to go out and tell the public that he was committing to one, and now he says to himself, you know what, now there's no going back. I have this on my mind now. I'm a football player. I'm a quarterback. I'm committed. And now the NFL team that drafts him knows what they're getting, and they're not getting that whole – did you guys watch the Deion Sanders 30 for 30? I did. Now? That was I awesome. Too. Mm-hmm. So you saw what was happening, even though both Atlanta teams were kind of accepting of the fact that he was going back and forth. It was definitely the pain, a pain in the butt to see him go back and forth and not be committed to one team. Yes, they want success for the city, but at the same time, it, it just, it's just hard for a team to know that their star player, which Kyler Murray can be in both leagues, is going back and forth and his mind's all over the place. And you saw Deion Sanders was, was even stressed talking about it, talking about stuff that happened 20, 30 years ago. So I think this was definitely the right decision for Kyler Murray. More of just picking one sport to play and less of actually picking the specific sport. Cole, you got to keep in mind though. And that was a great point. Um, it's a lot different. And the big part of him choosing to commit to football is you have to play football. Deion Sanders was a cornerback and a punt returner. Bo Jackson was a running back. That man will obliterate his arm if he attempts to do both, which he would not be allowed to, mm-hmm. but it's smart to pick one. It's smart. He's doing one. And it, it was kind of interesting to me based off on how the uh, the A's did last season, losing in the wild card to the Yankees. They have a ton of talent, and they're on the uprise um, for years to come, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, it will be interesting. There were reports that came out about um, a scenario where the Cardinals gave up Josh Rosen, um, and they would look for places to trade him where Kyler Murray could be the starting guy in Arizona which I don't know if I should believe. It's just a rumor, but it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Can, can we get change? into that? Can we, yeah, can we get into that for a few minutes with the Cardinals? All right. What would, um, I mean, how crazy would that be if Kyler Murray was taken number one and they give up on Josh Rosen? I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts first, and I have mine. All right, so I felt coming out of the draft that Josh Rosen was 
an NFL-ready quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. He sadly went to a broken organization, the broken system, with with just a, a terrible organization, a terrible team, and he was, in my opinion, he's more NFL-ready coming out of the draft than Kyler Murray is this year. There's Kyler Murray's had a lot of distraction. And his style of play is he's undersized, obviously. And um, I just feel that if Kyler Murray were to go into that situation, that he'd be at a disadvantage with that current Arizona Cardinals team. And people look at Josh Rosen last year. He didn't. He had he had a subpar rookie season. He really did. But look it wasn't who was great. around him. Not great at all. He was pretty terrible. But look what he had around him. He really had nothing. So we we don't know if if Josh Rosen went to a more NFL ready team with more guys around him, he could have succeeded. But throwing Kyler Murray over there, I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, the interesting part about it was if Kyler would end up as an Arizona Cardinal, they have easily the uh, worst line in the NFL if you break it down and look at it. He's a good guy for that system because if your old line isn't getting any better, he's not a guy that's going to sit in the pocket and wait for, you know, plays to happen and plays to work. He's a guy that's going to run out. He's going to scramble. He's going to run around. He could be like a Russell Wilson almost. He's not a running quarterback, though. He's not a running but quarterback. You have to keep in mind he has the ability to, and he's not a slow guy. Josh Rosen, by the looks of it now, if they don't uh, fix their O line, he is not a guy that's going to play for long. And injuries will just come his way because of the quarterback he is. He's easily one of the slowest in football. And he is a guy that'll sit in the pocket and wait for a place to unload. And he, we know the army has, we know his ability. It's just tough if you're getting hit every single play, whereas there's a guy like Kyler Murray who can run around and make throws. Mm-hmm. And I like that point you made up about how Kyler Murray actually might be a better fit for the Cardinals. And I think with Cliff Kingsbury, their new head coach, I think he's a better fit for his system as you saw him work with mobile guys like Patrick Mahomes in the past, except Josh, I think this shouldn't even be a debate for the Cardinals. If you're tri- – you have a guy like Josh Rosen. Let's break down Josh Rosen's character right now more than his talent in a way. Josh Rosen is a very self-centered guy. But he is a – in my opinion, he's a bit of Tom Brady in him. I feel like if you get that guy pissed off, he's going to be so much better. And if you put him into a system – because I think if you put him on the market, he'll be coveted by teams with aging veteran quarterbacks who will be able to mentor Josh Rosen – if you train to a team like New Orleans or New England, it will be one of the biggest mistakes a team could make for the landscape of the NFL of all time. Because Josh Rosen is a guy that I think with the correct system and supporting cast and offensive line that lets him sit in the pocket and use his incredible football IQ to his advantage, he can be an unbelievable quarterback in this league. But I'm concerned of the fact that the Cardinals in the past have proved to not do enough to support their quarterback and has led to injuries. And we saw that with Carson Palmer. We saw that now this season with Josh Rosen, even though there were no injuries present, that he was getting hit all over the place because of that terrible offensive line. If things don't get fixed, Josh Rosen's career can be in serious jeopardy because 
he will be absolutely destroyed by the by the poor momentum of his team because they're going to be losing games. And Josh Josh Rosen, the self-centered guy like that, is not going to cope well, cope well with that. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Cardinals, if they're if they know for a fact that they're going to be able to build build up that offensive line if they commit to Rosen. But I think they really should. I think Rosen's a much more NFL ready quarterback, and I think that he's ultimately going to have a better career than Kyler Murray if he's put in the correct situation. You know, let's discuss. Where do you guys think Kyler Murray could go in the draft? Where in the draft? And what what are some possible teams you guys think could uh, go after him? Shane? Uh, Scouts believe he's anywhere from a mid to late first round pick. I'd agree. Um, I don't believe in all the talent in this year's quarterback class. I believe years like 2016, 2017, 2015 were better. But, um, and it's no disrespect to the guys coming out this year. Some of them are great. The Daniel Jones of this world, the Will Greers, the Drew Locks, the Dwayne Haskins. Um, Kyler Murray, though, I do see him with a team like the Denver Broncos, the John Elway connection where you're a baseball player and you're a football player, but you're committed to football full time. And even though we just got the news, Joe Flacco is a Denver Bronco, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, if it's one of those scenarios where you have two veteran guys that are trying to teach Kyler Murray how to be a good quarterback, technique. Uh, another team, you know, he could end up as a, a successor somewhere. I don't see him going to the Giants following Eli Manning, but what if a team like the Chargers waited to pick him? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Personally, I think the biggest thing for Kyler, there, there's not a specific team that I'm really looking at, but I think the biggest thing for him is not to throw him into the fire as soon as possible. If you're looking at the draft class this year, as Shane alluded to, the 2019 draft class is nowhere as strong as past draft classes and the upcoming draft classes, especially this upcoming one in 2020 with, with guys like Tua Tago Viola. So, with that in mind, I think if you're approaching Kyler Murray, a raw prospect in my opinion, because you see the talent and skill that he has, but he has to put it all together to be an NFL, a great NFL quarterback. I think a, vet, a team with a proven veteran quarterback, like your Chargers of the world, your Saints, I mean, dare I say the Patriots, teams like that, maybe the Steelers who come in and say, let's develop this guy. He has all the talent in the world. Let's make sure he, we can run a dual threat spread offense with him, have a running back that's explosive that can complement him, and then there you go from there. But there are certain systems that he's not going to thrive in. So teams are going to have to be careful with that. You know, guys, I was thinking the Washington Redskins, we really haven't, you know, spoke about them at all. And their quarterback, they have a big, big problem at quarterback. You know, Alex Smith coming off a big injury. They really don't have a number one quarterback. And we haven't really spoke about them getting anyone soon. So I think if they do their homework on Kyler Murray – and they like what they see, I think it is a real possibility. You know, they have the 15th pick in this 2019 NFL draft. I think it is very possible that they might surprise us and take Kyler Murray where, where they at. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm thinking, guys. You know, real quick, another uh, thing to look at. I like what you said a lot, Petch, about the Washington Redskins. Keep in mind, guys, Alex Smith's leg injury was so gruesome and so brutal, he could be done for uh, this upcoming season. I don't think so, I don't think I'll play his again. whole career. He might not play again. Yes, yeah, we saw how bad it was, and 
at this point, if you're Dan Snyder um, and you want a quarterback, this could be a guy you're looking at for the future because you have to go up against the the Dak Prescotts and the Carson Wentzes. And we don't know what the Giants are going to do. Um, guys, they could pick Dwayne Haskins at uh, six, but it would be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. And, we'll, and Oh, go first. All right, yeah, yeah. So one guy I was actually thinking, I don't want to get too off topic, but you guys know Tyree Jackson from Buffalo? He yes. He has a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, six, frame, 240, <laughs> 250 pounds. This guy throws a cannon of a football. So don't be surprised if this guy comes out in the third or fourth round and surprises everyone. I mean, I think this guy is going to be a stud. He looks a little shaky in the pocket, but you never know with these big, lengthy, big-arm quarterbacks. They could turn into something. All right, Cole, back to you. Yeah, so, I mean, I love that point right there. Those are the guys I really like. But that brings me to that point I was talking about before. When you have raw prospects like that, a big mistake that teams made, like even the Buffalo Bills this year, was throwing those guys right into the fire. And I hated that they did that with Josh Allen. Josh Allen was a guy who came out of the draft, and I said, look, this guy has a ton of potential. We saw how good he was with his feet. We saw his unbelievable arm strength and his ineffectiveness with accuracy. But not putting him behind a veteran was a horrible move. And I think that's going to prove big going forward, as he has no one really leading him forward. I used forward twice. That is my bad. As he has no one leading him into the future with a veteran presence. So I think when you're looking at raw prospects like this, and I see a lot of that in this draft from Haskins all the way to Murray, you need to make sure you have a plan in mind and you're not blindly throwing some guy into your situation. But to cap off our Kyler Murray conversation, we've seen in the past guys with power like John Elway, as Shane said before, and Eli Manning being able to come into the draft and determine, have a little bit of a say of where they want to go. And if they get picked by a team they really don't like, as what as Elway and Eli did, they were able to request a trade. If Kyler Murray gets drafted by a team that he really doesn't like, could you see him pulling a move like Elway did and going back to baseball, or at least threatening to, and he gets traded? So saying that he has power to kind of pick whatever team he wants? Uh, at this point, uh, you know, the things he said, uh, what he's proven he's capable of, I, I think he'll be glued to football. Um, but only time will tell. He really, him committing to football, I think it truly means he's committing to football. If the guy has an awful NFL career and we could see it in minus six years, baseball will definitely be an opportunity for him. I think any team would be lucky to have him. Um, he's proven to be a good pitcher. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him do well in the NFL, but it's one of those things. If he's not successful in the NFL, will we see him try to make a run or turn into an MLB star? Patch, what do you think? Um, I don't think he has the balls to make that kind of move, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think he has that ego that John Elway once had. I think he's going to feel lucky to play wherever he's drafted. And hopefully he's drafted to a prestigious organization that could use him well, that he's behind a veteran. So at this point, I don't think he has the balls to make that kind of John Elway um, threatening to come back to baseball. If I'm not drafted by this team, you know, I don't think he, right at this point in his career, I don't think he would do that. I think he's happy to play wherever. I like how you made that comparison to Elway because I think with, with 
the prospect that we know Kyler Murray is, I don't think he has that power. Because coming into that draft, if you've also watched the 30 for 30 on that, which was um 1985 draft, I believe, was it? Anyway, as you were saying before, I think Elway, when he came into that draft, had so much more power with how good of a prospect he was. And Kyler Murray's kind of torn. I mean, yes, he was a Heisman winner, but he has, he has analysts and draft guys really torn on what kind of prospect he's going to end up being. So I don't think he's going to have enough power to convince the team that, oh, I'm going to go join baseball. I don't think he has that ego. I don't think he has that attitude. I think he's going to commit to football. And we'll see what happens. He's going to have to really step up considering his stature. And I, and I don't like how people are downgrading it because I do think it's a big deal because it's rare. And there's a reason why there's not many 5'9 quarterbacks in the NFL because players like that tend to be good college quarterbacks who are able to scramble around. And once they get into the big leagues, they tend to struggle with the ins and outs of playing. And more. Of, and we know the NFL is more of a, pa- of a passing league now. So it's going to be interesting to see if Kyler Murray is able to adjust overall. Boys? You know, guys, I would like to talk about something. I've heard a lot of Doug Flutie comparisons to Kyler Murray simply based on their heights. You know, um, Doug Flutie was 5'7", and Kyler Murray's not not too too much bigger. So, um, you know, do you guys think that these comparisons are fair? And do you think that Kyler Murray would be a better Doug Flutie? What are you guys thinking? Shane? Uh, we saw his capability in college. We know the type of player he is. Um, he's got a good arm. He's an athlete. So I do think a Doug Flutie comparison is fair. Um, his ceiling is a Russell Wilson because of height. But, you know, I, I do like your comparison there, Petch. Um, I think he can get above Flutie. Flutie, guys, we have to remember, he was very talented. He made an NFL comeback. He was in the Canadian Football League. He came back, and he was a winner. He was a winner in college at Boston College. Sorry, I said college twice there. But um, he's he's a talent. We know what the guy can do. He's a football player, and he does – He I think – you know what? I will give him the chance to be better than Doug Flutie. You know what, Shane? I think if you put him in the right system, I think he'll be an excellent NFL quarterback. But – I'm extremely concerned with the draft class this year and the teams that are really needy for, for a quarterback now that one of them is going to take him, and that's going to be a huge downgrade on his overall career. So I think his overall outlook really depends on which team takes a chance on him. And I really hope a team more in the 20 range goes after him. Yeah, and uh, LA and Marino, I, I was totally off with that. That was uh, the year of 83. The only quarterback taken in the 85 was, draft in the first was, round was Bernie Kosar to the Browns. It was 83? All right. I was close. Two years. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there was a load of talent those years. There was a uh-huh. lot of talent. There was a lot of talent. All right. So, going forward, we are going to have a ton of NFL offseason coverage. If we, have, if we have weeks like this week, or should I say even three-day spans where we have this much news... It's going to be a hell of an NFL offseason. I'll tell you that for sure. We have a huge free agent spree, free agency spree coming up in March. I think it believes in the starts on the 13th, right around March Madness time. And you have NFL draft coverage throughout all the way March, April, and May. So a ton going on. Football never stops. We have the AAF. 
it just football is king. I think we've seen that. I think that was proved this past weekend when the AAF had more views than the was it Rockets um Thunder game. Uh, I believe it was something yeah. like that. It yeah. had to have been football. You're right. Football is king. Football will always rule. And that's you know, you saw you saw how uh, you know you saw how crowded even the stadiums were. They were extremely crowded. It looked like there were a lot of people there in attendance. So you never we'll, maybe we'll see some more AF, AAF action. Mm-hmm. For sure, and I think that's going to be a success. I think the NFL offseason is going to be awesome. There's a ton of moves that are going to be in the works. Antonio Brown's down the trade block. A ton of guys are going to be moving around. And I think overall, I'm going to say it again, it's just going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. So I want to give a big thanks to both of you guys for coming on the show today. Definitely a great show. Definitely, again, more to come in the future. And that's going to do it for today. Have a good one, everyone, and stay tuned for much more. Thank you, Cole.